you would open your Bible, we'll read a couple of passages. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Then we'll be coming to primarily to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 John chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 7. Something I heard Henry say one time which helped me tremendously. He said, when reading the scripture, find out who's writing it, what was the setting that was going on when it was written, and the primary thing is, who's he writing it to? When people misapply the scriptures, it's like Romans 8.28, we, we all know it. Most people just quote the first part, all things work together for good. That's not what the verse says. All things work together for good to them who are called of God according to his purpose. It's his purpose. But who's he writing it to? Someone said it's like picking up somebody's mail and reading it and said, oh, somebody left me a million dollars. No, they didn't. He left it to somebody else. You just read somebody else's mail. We see here, as soon as we begin reading verse 7, what does it say? Beloved. So who's he writing to? He's writing to believers. He's writing to believers. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. That's just pretty plain, isn't it? He couldn't say it any simpler, right to the point. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we may live through him. That's the demonstration of his love. And herein is love. You all know what love is? Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Now who's the us? Who are the us? He loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his, his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit, which birthed us into his family, which enables us to love him. And we have seen and do testify. This is something we've seen and we testify to that fact. That the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And you know, everybody would take that verse and say, okay, that means he died for everybody. That ain't what it says. But you see how people twist scripture. And we have seen and we do testify that he has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. 
Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Connie, what do I have to be afraid of? The law is satisfied. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear hath torment. Torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how in the world can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Before we get into these verses, we're going to try to look at all 13 verses. A few comments on love. Love, first of all, is the commandment of God. In John 15, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 John 3, 23, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Love is not a condition to be met in order to get saved. It is the result of salvation. Can you make, you can't, you know how it is. You cannot make yourself love somebody. You can't do it. When you, when you, when you find someone and God brings somebody into your life and you love that person, you can't explain that. You say, well, I love them. Explain it. You can't, but you know you love them. And you don't know, you can't explain it why. It's not a condition to be met. It's, there's always causes and effect. A man loves God because God loved him first. And God shed abroad his love in that person's heart. And that's natural now. That's the, it's the, the part of that new birth. It loves God. No, we don't love him like we should. And the old man, listen to me, will never love him. It's not changed. It nothing lo- it's never loved him and it never will. But the new man, oh my goodness. It loves him. Longs after him, like Cheryl said, couldn't wait to come be with God's family. We're the beloved. That scripture when I read, all of it's speaking to God's family, his people. We're different from this world. Why? We love God and the world doesn't love God. And we know it's not us. We're not going to stand and, and brag on our love for him. It's not worth speaking of, but we do love him. We love him. Love is the fulfilling of the law. You know why you you know why you get afraid? Because you think that God's going to get you. Scares you to death. And that's all the law does. It threatens you. Then I'm going to get you. You know you messed up. Paul, I'm going to get you. 
scared to death. Something, something happens, and you know what? We just get scared to death. Think God's going to strike us dead. That's fear. Fear hath torment. Great is his faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. He'll never cast you away. You're his. He, he gave his only begotten son to redeem you and save you and set you free. What do you have to be afraid of? Nothing. Now we do experience fear. I know that. But what right, what right do you have to be afraid? Nothing. Nothing. Because love is the fulfilling of the law. Love worketh no Ill, Ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Our Lord said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do either one of them. You've got to love him perfectly. With your body, soul, and mind. And you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And God in his grace, when he regenerates you, you've met both them commandments. Because he did. The law is satisfied. This law, this, I mean this love is one sure mark and evidence of a saving union with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the evidence. That's the sure mark. It says in First John chapter, I mean John chapter 13 verse 35, by this, now listen, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. You know why we love each other? Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we stayed around each other long enough, we'd get on everybody, each other's nerves. Now, let's just be honest. Wouldn't we? But why do we love each other? You meet people, and they're just from another part of the country or another part of the world, and you meet them, and in a few minutes, if they're his child, you love them. And you can't explain it. And it's Christ in them. That's what it, but this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you love one another. And you love them. You know what? You love Christ in them. That's it. That's it. We know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Did Cain love Abel? Let's be honest. He hated him. Why does the world hate you? Because they hate your God. They can say what they want to. They, they despise him. First John 5, 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth, everyone that loveth him, beget him also that is begotten of him. Every child of God, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. 
Look at Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He's bent on killing every child of God. That's just what he wants to do. And God smites him down and he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the next time you see him in Damascus, he's standing there preaching the gospel. He once hated Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he loves him. Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Let me say something. This love that we've been speaking about, when this love is absent, grace is absent. No man is born of God who does not have the love of Christ implanted in his heart. I don't care how much they say. He said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's pretty That's pretty plain. If they don't love him, they don't know him. First John chapter 2, verses 9 verse through 11. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even unto now. He that loveth his brother abideth in light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knows not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. In this chapter, verse 1 it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and have not charity, and become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Now most people would think that word charity means benevolence, wouldn't they? He's got a, they're having a charity event or somebody's going to give money to charities. That ain't what this means. I think it was Henry I heard say this, and it, this is something else that he said to help me. You could actually take where that word charity is, and you could mark it out everywhere it's used in this chapter and write Christ. Let me read it that way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not Christ, I am become his sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. It takes on a whole new meaning. You say, how could you put it there? Because God is love. If you speak with the tongues of men, you know what was going on in this church? These people were bragging about having the ability to speak all these other languages. Wouldn't that be a great gift to be able to speak and to communicate the gospel in, say, Spanish or any other language? What a great gift. He said you could have the, the, the gift to speak tongues of men and even of angels. And you don't have Christ? It's just a bunch of noise. It's just sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Because if you have Christ, you have love. And it is love. Verse 2, he says, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith that you could remove a mountain. That's a lot of faith. To understand all the mysteries and have not charity or have not Christ, I'm nothing. He said, I'm nothing. And though I give all my though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. You mean go down here at the bank and 
Empty all my bank account and go and give it to the poor? Yeah, that's what he's saying. And though I give my body to be burned, willing to die as a martyr for what I believe in, and have not Christ, it profits me nothing. You say you believe these people that died as martyrs? Yep. Just because they died a martyr don't make them a believer. As I thought about this, and I thought about, you know, man selling all of his money and giving all of his money to feed the poor, I thought about the woman with the alabaster box of ointment. She came, so precious, and she poured it on our Lord's head. And what did Judah say? Judah said, what a waste. Why don't we take this money, and why don't we take this alabaster box, and let's sell it, and take the money and give it to the poor. And the whole time, he don't love our Lord. Who in that picture loved our Lord, Judas or the woman? She came with the most precious thing she had, and she gave it to him because he loved her, and now she loves him. And people can give everything, and you can give everything, and do everything, and be a martyr and all that, and still not know him. Without Christ, it profits you nothing. Then in the next few verses, he lists 16 things that characterize love. Let's begin there in verse 4. What's the first thing he says? Love suffers long. Does Christ not suffer long with his people? He is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And they're all coming. How long did God suffer with you? Those that he loves. And every one of them he's going to save. The world uses that. That's another one of their proof texts. They said, he's not willing that any should perish, and none of them is going to perish. Men perish every day. None of his elect will ever perish. You know why? Because of love. It's long-suffering. It suffers long. The long-suffering makes a person patient and long-suffering with the faults of others. It's not easily offended and given to wrath. The children of Israel were in Egypt for 430 years. That's a long time. But you know what he said? When the iniquity of the Amorites is full, they're going in and taking it over. God's long-suffering. He's long-suffering, but he's still a God of wrath. He's still a God of justice. But see how the world, they think, well, God's just a God of love. God is love. Secondly, love suffers long and is kind. Well, that's a rare virtue, isn't it? Just kindness. Just kind. Isn't it, isn't it nice when somebody's just kind to you? Just kind. Give me a few scriptures. Isaiah 54, 8, In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment. 
but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee. Just for a little while, hid my face. Ephesians 2 verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In Titus it says, For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, and deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done. He's kind. Kind. Love wishes to bestow the best it can upon the object of its affections. The third thing, charity suffers long or Christ suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Does not boil over with jealousy. It is made happy by the prosperity and happiness of somebody else. You know, David at one time was envious. Go home and read all Psalms chapter 73. Here's what he said. I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said it seems like they never get sick. They never have a problem. He said, he said they, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than they could. And he said, I envied them. Till I went to the house of God. And God reminded me that they're standing in slippery places. But what he's saying is he admitted it. That's us. Envious. I, I'd, I'd be envious of a man who never had back pain. When you never had a heart problems or anything, yeah, I'd be envious of that. That's us. But love, envy's not. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Then it says, love vaunteth not itself. Is not a proud boaster. Either of what he has, could reference to the things of nature, our wisdom, our riches, our honor, or our strength, or even spiritual gifts. What he does, since what, what, what he does is not from a principle of love. He vaunteth not his self. Filled with self-importance. Then it says, love is not puffed up. This word means to inflate. Being inflated with one's ego. Romans chapter 12 verse 3, listen. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And listen, Paul dealt with this in the church at Corinth. 
this book. If you read back in chapter 3, you remember where Paul said, I wanted to speak to you as spiritual, but they were acting carnal. And how were they acting carnal? They was comparing preachers. Some said, well, I like Paul. I like Apollos. I like, I like Peter. And some says, I don't like none of them. I just like Christ. He said, are you not carnal? And then and Paul had to defend himself. Some said, well, he's not even an apostle. He never saw the Lord. And here's what he said. Now listen. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. And we all quote this next verse of Scripture. For who makes you to differ? Don't we? But see, in the context what Paul's writing about, it's, he said, we have these things in a figure. Why put one against another for who makes thee to differ from another? Who makes you to differ from anybody else? Anyway, your intellect, what you have, what you know, who you know. What, who makes you to differ? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why do you glory as if thou hast not received it? Listen to what Brother Henry said on this. I thought this was excellent. Learn to appreciate men's gifts and usefulness, yet do not ascribe too much to them, lest some of us be puffed up, inflated with pride, and we begin to set one man against another. You see what he's saying? Love is not puffed up. And we all can be. We all can be. Love does not behave itself unseemingly. Love is not rude, unmannerly. We're going to see in a little bit, Paul talks about when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, but when I become a man, I put away childish things. You remember when your kids first come, when they were little and they come to the table, what did you have to teach them? You had to teach them some manners, right? That's what he's saying. We're not rude or unmannerly. As I thought about this, as I thought about just being rude to someone, you remember, I've already mentioned, remember the woman with the alabaster box? You remember whose house she was in? It says in Luke chapter 7, verse 44, he was in Simon's house. And here's what he said. He turned to the woman and he said unto him, he said unto Simon, he said, Simon, seest thou what this woman? I entered into thy house and thou gavest me no water for my feet. You know what that was? That was just plain rude, wasn't it? It was customary in those days if, because they wore sandals. When he, when he walked to somebody's house, it would be like Jeff coming to my house. When he come to my house, what I'd do is get a pot of water and I'd wash his feet. And if I didn't, that'd be rude. And here's what he said. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Which one's rude?
Love does not behave itself unseemingly. Why did she do that? Why did she take that? We know why. God did a work of grace in her heart. He loved her. And she loved him. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is, is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem everybody else or others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now listen to me, children. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and made himself of no reputation. He did not seek his own reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He did not seek his own will. What did he say? Not my will, but thine be done. She seeks not her own. She seeks not her own. is not easily provoked. Now they can be provoked, but not easily. Here's what it said in Psalm 78, verse 56. Yet they tempted me, yet they tempted and provoked the Most High. Can you provoke God? Oh yeah. You better thank God he's not Easily provoked. You, you, you picture this. He brings the children of Israel out of, the, out of Egypt. He brings them into the wilderness. He sends them manna. He gives them water. And all they do is what? Grumble and complain. When Moses went up on the mountain and he gave Moses the law, when he came down, what did they do? The first thing they did, they made him a golden calf. You know what God said? He said, Moses, you just get out of the way. He said, I'll kill every one of them. And I'll raise up another nation from you, Moses. You look at everything that goes on in this world. If, it were, if I had the power of God, I would annihilate it in a minute. That's being provoked. Why does God put up with a youth? How does God put up with me? He's not easily provoked. Why? Because he loves his people. Why does God even let this world stand? I'm, I'm, I'm surprised every day. I shouldn't be, but I am. Really shocked. The only reason He's long-suffering. He suffers long with his people. He's got to elect people he's going to save. <coughs> he's going to save every one of them. He's not easily provoked. 
Listen, Luke chapter 5, let me give you this one, verse 55. And he, and as he said these things, he was speaking. That's where he was rebuking those scribes and Pharisees and those hypocrites. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak many things, lying in wait and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. You want to just provoke somebody. Somebody get, we use the term get in your face. Somebody get in your face and they keep on getting in your face. You know what that's going to do? You know what they're doing? They're provoking you. And he's not easily provoked. And they look at that and they say, that's weakness. Oh, that ain't weakness. Love thinks no evil. It does not carry about with a suspicious nature looking for faults, but always thinks the best of others. You know what we're prone to do? We're always to think the worst. If we didn't, if we didn't have what's recorded about Lot in the New Testament, every one of us would say Lot's a lost man. Now that's how we do. We we first thing we do is think evil. Well, he's lost. He don't love God. How did God see it? He said he vexed his righteous soul. And rejoices not, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity. Doesn't rejoice in the falls and failures of others. Love is never glad when someone goes wrong. But rejoices in the truth. What a man is, he wishes others to be. If, he, if he's evil, he delights to point out the evil in others. And I thought about the prodigal son's elder brother. Remember when he came into the house? The father had to even go out to him. And he said, this thy son has wasted your living with harlots. You read about that nowhere in that chapter. He probably did waste it with harlots, but nobody else mentions it. But boy, he did. Boy, he did. You know why? Because he hated the father and he hated that son that returned. He didn't love him. He rejoices in the truth. John said in Second John chapter 1, I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking in truth. Love, it says next, beareth all things. Someone said that word bear, where it says beareth all things, says covers with silence. I'm just being honest, children. When we hear something, we can't wait to tell it. Isn't that it? That means to cover slightly. Listen, Proverbs 10 verse 12 Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. This old sinner needs someone to cover my sin. Love beareth all. Who bore all my sin? Charity did. Christ did. He, he bears all things. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Proverbs 11, verse 13, A talebearer reveals secrets, but he that is of a faithful secret spirit 
conceals the matter. Proverbs 17, 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth, separateth very friends. You know where this is illustrated? You remember when Noah, he's been on the ark with his family and all those animals for a long time. And when he comes off the ark, you know what he does? Noah plants him a vineyard, grows him some grapes, and he makes him some wine. And you know what he does? He gets drunk. He has three sons, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. And I don't understand all this, and I don't know exactly what happens. And it doesn't matter. All I know is Noah sinned, and his brother, his son Ham, went and told his two other brothers. He did. And when those brothers went to their daddy, you know what it says they'd done? Them two boys turned their back to their daddy and they took a garment and didn't even look at their daddy and they went back and they covered it up. That's what I'm talking about. Which one of them three boys loved their daddy? Them two boys loved their daddy and Ham didn't. That's why God put a curse on Ham. Cursed be Ham. Covered it. Covered it. You know... I've had people to tell me things before and I'd have wished the Lord they had never told me. I've had people, you know, they maybe didn't think about it. Maybe they didn't mean harm. I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical. But after I knew it, I couldn't forget it. I couldn't get it off my mind. And I'm telling you, the first thing I, the first time I saw them, that's the first thing I thought of. And I go, and I wished I wasn't like that, but it is. I thought, man, I wish I just even, didn't even know it. Just don't. Just don't mention it. Love believeth all things. Someone said, I thought this was good. It is better to believe the best of a brother and to be disappointed than to believe the worst and to destroy a friendship. I thought that was good. Love hopeth all things. What love cannot see, it hopes for, and never gives up. Thinking about David, don't you know he always had hope that maybe Absalom would repent? Maybe he'll repent. Hope, I thought, I got, I got hope. I've got family members that, that are lost, but I got hope maybe God will show mercy. Hope, hopeth all things. They ain't never be saved. Where's the hope in that? Where's the hope? Love hopeth all things. Hopeth all things. And love endureth all things. It will endure trial, sorrow, sickness, disappointment, hurt feelings, and offenses. It will endure all things. Now, I know we've all made this statement. They've just gone too far. I cannot forgive them. Haven't we? Haven't we? I'm glad he's never said that to one of his children. Love beareth all things. 
He bears with me, Sandy, every day. Beareth all things. I mean, endureth all things. Paul said, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Song of Solomon, it says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. And then the last one. Love never fails. Never fails. It will endure to the end. It will never cease in this life or in the life to come. It is the, it is the gift of God and it is the life of God in a man. Do you know, the only thing that's going to change when you go to glory is for you to lose the old man. That's right. It ain't that, you know, it ain't like religion thinks that God saves you and then he's gradually sanctifying you. Then he's going to make you good enough one day and take you into glory. No, when it's a work that's finished. When he saved you, it's done. When he elected you, it's done. When he set you apart, it's done. When he died for you, it's done. It's all done. That's right. The old man just has to fall off. We see through a glass darkly, but we won't see through a glass darkly then. Let me read on. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I become a man, I put away childish things. For we see, for we now see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and love. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Listen. When perfect knowledge of God and of Christ and of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven shall be ours in heaven. Our perfect knowledge, our weak faith, our so-called excellent gifts and rare talents will appear to be nothing more than children's toys. That's what he's talking about. One day we're going to put all these things aside. In the light of what we shall know then, when I reached manhood, I put away my childish toys, my thoughts, and behavior, even so when believers shall see Christ and shall be like him, perfect, mature saints, tongues shall cease, Prophecy shall fail. Limited knowledge shall all vanish away. But one thing will never end. Love. It won't be hope anymore because we'll see him. It won't be faith anymore. It'll be sight. But one thing that will endure for all eternity is love. Because God is love. Is this making any sense? And it's all 
Him. This It describes it's all Him. Love is in where? It's in Christ. Outside of, outside of Christ, there's no love of God. This is what's misunderstood. Outside of Christ is the wrath of God. The ark is a picture of Christ. Noah was saved through the ark. It brought him through judgment. Outside the judgment was the, outside the ark was the wrath of God. And all God's love is in Christ. Who can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord shall be tribulation or distress or persecution or any, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's Christ that died. And it's all in him. And he teaches us, teaches us. As I thought, I can't get that woman with the alabaster box off my mind when I think about her doing that. I can tell you people, I want to love that way. I want, I do. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Don't you know people's, that they said, oh, she, it's such a waste. They went, ask her if it's a waste. And it will do all those things. It doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. It's not easily provoked. Don't you make me mad. Don't you cross this line. You've crossed it too many times. You've got on my last nerve. I used to say when I was younger, I wished I could lose my temper and get rid of it. You know what I'm talking about. Fly off the handle. Say things. Boy, go get back at them. You just wait. You know why we feel like that? Because we think we're something special. We need to be reminded we ain't nothings. Nothings and nobodies. But he loved his people. He that's been forgiven of much loveth much. That's pretty simple, isn't it? God help me. God help me. That's the only way I, the only way I can do it. And the only way you can God help me to love him with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind, and my neighbor as myself. You remember that story of the Good Samaritan? You remember, before that, you remember what that man asked him? He was trying to justify himself. He said, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And he remember he said the priest and the Levite went down to that man and they looked by him because they couldn't help him. They represented the law. And here come this Samaritan. He went down and got him, put him on his own beast and took him to the end. And he said, if anything you need, he said, here's enough money to take care of. And if you spend any more, if he needs any more, when I come back town, I'll pay it. And he said, which one of them three was neighbor to, was friend to his neighbor? It was him. And he that loveth not knows not God. And that's, that's, that's it. That's where the rub is. That's as simple and as plain. If you, don't love, if you don't love God, you don't know him. If you don't love your brother whom you've seen, you just don't know him. You just don't know him. Because the grace of God, 
I tell you, Henry helped me a lot, and he still helps me. You know what's something Henry always said? The grace of God makes a man gracious. He won't be rude. You know, James, in the book of James, I was reading there the other day, he said, he had to deal with this in that church when he was writing to, he said, a man comes in, boy, he's, he's come in, oh, he's dressed real fine, got a nice suit on, looks like he's got money, and everybody said, you need to sit up here on the front row. You need to sit up here. Okay, here somebody comes in with rags. They ain't got two nickels to rub together. And you know what they were saying? You need to stand back there in the corner. That's what he said. You know what y'all do? Make the man in the suit stand in the corner. And make the man with the rags that ain't got two nickels to rub together. Put him on the front pew. That's what he's saying. And that's when he said, he said, faith without works is dead. He said, you're partial. And that, that just describes us to a T, isn't it? Because you know why? We judge things by the outward appearance, but God judges us by the heart. May God apply these truths to all our hearts. Amen.